Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Midpoint is back and I love you for coming back to listen. Now, if you're new to Midpoint and our community, welcome. Please feel free to revisit the 16 episodes we've already recorded over the last year. Midpoint was born out of the idea that I was 46 and officially middle-aged, whatever that meant. And I didn't really know what actually it entailed being middle-aged. I felt the same. I could see my body and face definitely had changed. In some ways, my mind had too. So I decided that I'd chat to lots of other well-known middle-aged people who are officially 38 to about the late 50s, that's what the Economic and Social Research Council says is middle-aged, and see what it meant to them to be in this period of their lives. What were they doing to keep their minds and bodies and ambitions healthy? Did it matter if they had ambition anymore? And then we peppered these interviews with an expert. And this series, I'm going to kick off with a woman who is out of the official age range, but I feel that actually we shouldn't be so prescriptive because she's so awesome and has so much to say and has so much knowledge and wisdom that who would would not want to hear from Ruby Wax. Ruby is really an adopted national treasure. Of course, she's American by birth, a classically trained actress, a documentary maker, a TV personality, a writer, a comedian, and now the holder of an MA in cognitive therapy from Oxford University. She has really and truly had a wonderfully diverse and interesting journey through her career, but it's recently her own journey with mental health in which she's been incredibly outspoken and honest, which has launched her into kind of a whole new sphere and a whole new audience. I can't wait to speak to Ruby. Our lovely friends at Solgar are back supporting Midpoint, the science-backed vitamin and mineral range, which has over 300 products to choose from. I feel supported by them every day, especially when I'm taking vitamin D, vitamin C, and I love a little fish oil as well. Okay, let's crack on with Ruby Wax. Ruby Wax, uh, I find you looking incredibly well for the for those listening to this, obviously, without the uh, the benefit of seeing your your face. Uh, very, very rosy cheeks. You look very fresh. Are you well? Yeah, I'm, I've got like some food on my um, record thing. So I, I look blurred. That's my secret. <laughs> you, th- you, there is a slight waxiness to the screen. I was wondering yeah. if you, you Vaseline your own. <laughs> no, I've just spit at it. So <laughs> that's how that's my secret. Are you well? Yeah, yeah, I am well. I, I mean, considering. <laughs> yeah, all things considered, you're yeah. you're you're in a good state in life. Now, this podcast, I don't want to, I don't want to kind of start on a downer, but when I started this off, it's called Midpoint. The age range that is middle aged ends at like fifty eight, and you're out of middle age, which is great. I'm I be- guess I'm before it. <laughs> I'm before 58, so I don't starts, know if I should be on this show. <laughs> no, well, I've decided to just do away with any kind of restrictions and parameters. So I, I actually was genuinely, and not just saying this to kind of blow smoke up your what's it, I was really surprised to find out your age. But then I shouldn't have been because you've been around 
for so much of my life that I should have really guessed that you'd be the kind of the age you are. Can we say what age you are? Do you, do no, you no, I don't want to because okay. I, I seriously, I've seen doctors, I've seen shrinks. <laughs> I can't say the word, so okay. I'll have a trauma. I'll- so I just, you know, I, I did think a lot of people have, after the first and second series said, I want to hear from people who've come through the other side and, you know, kind of look back on that midlife. Did you ever, was there ever a point in your life where you thought, oh gosh, I'm middle-aged now? No, and I, I don't think that, uh, now, but if you ask me how old I am, I I would hit the floor because I find it you know if somebody else is that age, I think oh they're really yeah. old. Where are you in but, your head? What age are you in your head? I'm thirty two, thirty two, around there. Yeah. Why do you look at me like that? <laughs> Why are you looking at me? I've put food on the lens. What more do you want from me? Was thirty two a good age? I can't really remember, but that's how old I think I was. I am now. How old are you? How old are you? Genuinely? No, no. Come on. I don't want to know. How old are you think you are? About 35. Oh, you're older. (laughs) A bit older than you. (laughs) Okay. Let's start there. On a serious point about the middle age, one of the things that I've thought about a lot lately, and it was so interesting because in your book, uh, and now for the good news, you talk very early on about if we don't accept the future, we become irrelevant. And, and I say that's one of my biggest fears, actually, is irrelevance. I'm not bothered about ageing per se. I want to be healthy. Mm. But it's the idea of being irrelevant. It, to people now? I just, mean, just generally, not, not having any point, <laughs> not, not being relevant to anybody. Oh, that's an interesting one. I may start interviewing you. Uh, it's not about being forgotten. Like, nobody will come no, to the No, no. That's it's not kind what of, you mean. When I read that, it suddenly kind of... A penny dropped. And I thought, gosh, because I've got teenage kids, right? I've got 15-year-olds. And yeah. and so I suddenly thought, gosh, is that what middle... It's about... They Everything I do is old-fashioned to them. You know? Yeah, no, my kids hate me. So I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an idiot. All my... Sh- I know nothing about comedy. I have never even had a life experience. I'm an idiot. So forget about that. But um, w- at, when you get older, <laughs> when you become 36, <laughs> where I was getting... Now you're way older than me, but there's a point where you think, okay, I have to do something relevant. So I think that's when, A, I was, I lost my job in TV because I was 50. And you're not allowed on TV after that because, you know, it's too upsetting to people. <laughs> so was it, even though you, I thought I looked. Actually, were you actually 50 when you stopped being on telly? Pretty much, yeah. Um, so I was. Do you think, no, removed. Ruby, just, do you think that, that would happen now? Do you think the landscape has improved? No, I don't. Show me somebody, unless they, they're uh, dying of a disease or they intentionally put some old people in a place in India. <laughs> but uh, you don't really see it much. I, I still don't think. Everybody's beautiful on every TV, even a detective thing. Show me a pretty detective. You know, people don't look real. You know, even, uh, what is it? Orange is the only fruit. What What is that? The, the black is the new orange. Oh, They're black, wearing oh, eye yeah, makeup. Yeah, 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 yeah. The woman is in the toilet in a lockdown and she's got eye makeup on. We're, so I don't trust it. You know, I don't trust it. I don't watch it. It's it's too upsetting. Nobody looks real. So that's really interesting that you were actually 50 because I was going to ask you about the fact that you have... But I don't, you know, I, do, I have to say, I don't, you know, I'm not one of these people that get on a soapbox and it's just the way it is, you know? I mean, that's, but I, in a way, I, I did this interview with Louis Theroux because I believed he took my job 
And so I haven't been able to say the name without hunching over into a loo. But I explained that to him in, I think, a really non-angry way that my last memory was giving him not one but two BAFTAs. And then my career pretty much ended. I don't think it directly had to do with him, but he was there when it all went to, to the loo. I mean, they started offering me things like, would I mind going to an island and eating my young? And that's what happens when you're older. And when you're very desperate, you end up on those shows. There ain't no amount of money because there's a moment where you lose dignity. Yeah. But because of being kicked out, I had to reinvent really quickly. You know, I didn't want to be one of those old people that goes, remember me, and then has people come over and watch <laughs> reruns or, you know, do a documentary about my gallbladder operation. So I had to reinvent. And if I hadn't done that at that age, I wouldn't have ended up getting my master's and getting whatever else I got. Yes, so exactly. So changed you changed my life. So but, with hindsight, was that a yeah, good... Yeah, I have to thank Louis. <laughs> I thank him for my new life. we've got to take life. Louis out of the equation, haven't we? Okay. It's not really yeah. Louis. It's not really Louis. It's the industry, isn't it? It's the whole... Yeah, but, but in a way, um, women have to reinvent constantly because we just live too long. So I was really... I, I, was, uh, I always was interested in psychology before I went on TV. That's why I interviewed certain people because I wanted to put the Rubik's cue together. In my mind, I wasn't really interested in their celebrity. I like to put puzzles together. Um, so I always thought oh, I'm going to go back to psychology, but I didn't want, <clears throat> I didn't want to be a shrink, even though I went to school and learned how to be one, but I was crap because when I used to have to do my, you have to do 400 hours, people would sit in front of me and I'd be thinking, oh, just come to the punchline. <laughs> That's not a good shrink. <laughs> but why did he leave you? I'll tell you. Um, so do you have peace with that whole process now where you felt at the time clearly aggrieved about having to move on when you weren't quite ready but then now you're happy you've done your masters yeah, yeah I mean it was it was primal my reaction because it was taking food out of my kid's mouth because I'm the breadwinner so that was there was a savagery about it you know now how do I survive uh what can I say I, I it turned out all right against all odds you know a it's a miracle that you get a job in television. And B, it's a miracle that at age 107, I get into Oxford when I was an idiot as a child. But it turned out that somebody tapped into something. If I hadn't had the background I had, maybe I would have been an academic because that button got pushed. But as you say, when I was 21, I wanted to be relevant and I wanted people to pay attention. So I got on TV and then I showed off like a you know, it made up for all my parents going, you'll never be anything. On the other hand, you can't live with that motive when you're 40. Nobody cares. And it's pathetic. Now, at least my motivation is a little, you know, it's still got a soupçon of narcissism. But what I'm talking about, I'm not talking about how funny dogs are. Which was the inevitable road you'd have to go down. <laughs> well, comedians get more and more pathetic, unless they're George Carlin, you know, who talked about the world. Ricky Gervais is, is kind of afforded a platform to pursue his his interests of the world, isn't he? And I suppose Russell Brand is kind of... Oh, Russell Brand is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So as the landscape changes then in your, your work is obviously entrenched in comedy and television, right? So you start out acting and the landscape's changing. Actually, 
there's a there's a few things going on, isn't there, in that middle lifetime? There's the Louis Theroux thing. Let's just call it that, right? It's, okay. It's, and then there's you being a woman and a society not being ready to see anybody, you know, kind of over a certain age who's a woman yeah. on telly. But also in that kind of mix of things, comedy's changed, technology's changing, all that's changed. So there's all this stuff happening. Was it inevitable, do you think, we should accept that actually we're living longer, we all just have to reinvent? No, it wasn't at all. I just hit it lucky. Like I hit the zeitgeist, you know, I studied how the mind works and how, you know, stress affects people and what you can do about it. Now I'm hired all the time. Even government want to know how do we get out of this? Mm. We're burning out. We're frazzled. What do you do? So when I wrote how to be human with a monk and a neuroscientist, I had both sides of the coin sitting at my right and left, but we made it funny. And, you know, what you want something answered, get the state-of-the-art neuroscientist who's got a sense of humor. So he's a specialist on the meat of your brain. And the other guy is, is, I mean, Tupton is brilliant, brilliant on how the mind works. And it was a marriage. They both agreed. And then the new book. Now for the good news, what a privilege for the last two years before lockdown to be able to go around the globe and find out where, I call them the green shoots are, you know, where... It's not a hippie dream. It's in business, in tech, in education. Who's doing state of the art so that if we put our attention there, that could be the future. But if we keep getting hyped up on fear and we're drugged up with, you know, the next catastrophe, those things won't grow. So I got to so we've got pay attention. Of, so we've got the kind of macro level of stuff going on, which which we can affect, but not as easily. And then we've got the micro level of stuff going on, which is going on in people's homes and, you know, every day in terms of when I talk about relevance before, it wasn't relevant necessarily in terms of, you know, a career wanting to be on telly. It's just that your opinions and what you feel and your wisdom even actually counts for something and that it's not just such a youth centric society that, you know, you kind of feel, and maybe it's because I'm surrounded by teenagers that that feels even more Mm. kind of pressing at the moment because they are, you know, so kind of plugged into everything that's new. But, you know, because of the culture now, I don't, my audience is really young Mm. and they don't even know I was on TV because they're burning out faster than anybody else's. So when I look in the audience, they were young and they were hungry. They read my books, they come up and tell me what's wrong with them. It's like the mother figure in a way. So yeah, they're quite young. That's really, that must be really lovely to have an audience, a new audience. Yeah. And they don't know I was on TV, so they don't stand in front of me They didn't watch Girls on Top. They're 20 years old. (laughs) They were fetuses. They were fetuses. They weren't fetuses. And they've never seen, they've never seen the Donald Trump interview. They've never seen Sarah Ferguson interview. No. And if they want to see all those interviews, I heard you say to Louis through, they're not shown anywhere. Oh, no, they, um, well, coincidentally, they're showing them bits of them all on BBC that'll come out in August. So I don't know if it was because of Louis, but, you know, they're showing it and you can't get bitter. That's the magic ingredient. Absolutely. You can't. You cannot, if you're bitter, it's like you're carrying, you're giving your enemy poison, but you're dying from it. So I've been working on this stuff not to get bitter. So, okay, fine. They never showed my stuff. Well, now they are. Your life now sounds idyllic. It sounds brilliant. I hit the, I mean, I, I hit, it's like the jackpot. The world ended up frazzled. And that's the book I wrote. Mm. That was lucky that I wrote it before the world burned out because now nobody rolls their eyes 
and talks about mental, well, they might still, but mental illness. I'm not talking about mental illness. I'm talking about the public. Everybody, if you're not frazzled, you're either in a coma or you're enlightened and it'll be the next pandemic. So I think frazzled is, well, that's the culture. It's, it's really worrying, isn't it? It's really, it's really upsetting, especially when you've got younger people in your life and you see, you know, kind of their, the landscape they're growing up in and the, and you know, my kids just get, make, take, take the mickey out of me when I say social media, but I, you know, it's this kind of being plugged in all the time to something, which is, I feel, okay, maybe I sound like an old person, but that is the thing that I feel is one of the most toxic elements to this frazzled life. On the other hand, do you want to sit at home, you know, at home and think about it? Because that'll just burn you out. Mm. But again, I did go and find people creating games and they're still fun where they're teaching kids empathy. So you, you can still kill the bad guy. But if you think, wait a minute, maybe he just got a divorce or he can't fi- figure out where he parked his car, you get more points. And there's other things where they're, and they're teaching kids in school. And it's in their vocabulary, stuff. isn't it? Mental health is in their vocabulary in a way, yeah. young people, that it was never in my, I know I'm a little bit older than you, uh, but it was never in my vocabulary growing up. And, you know, to have those conversations, you were told to toughen mm. up or, you know, there, there wasn't yeah. uh, a sense of, looking after what was going on in your head. And they definitely understand that. And they're learning emotional intelligence. I mean, I have, there are schools where that's on the curriculum. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it means their grades get better in case parents go, oh, well, are they just going to be nice people? No, they can think clearer. Are they just going to be nice people? Yeah. That's, that's all no. I want. I just want to bring up some nice people. I said mm. to them, just be, just be charming and nice. Just be a nice person. That's, that's, that's <laughs> enough. Um, kids just have this abundance, don't they? Because time is just out in front of them and they see. But the- they should do. You know, yeah, if, if at 20 you aren't in turbo, you're going to lose. Some things have to happen when you're 20. Other things, it's like getting pimples, change physically in your body. By 70 or by 50, there's this chemical that's less about sex and more about wisdom. That's in your, you can play that card or not, and you can pretend you're 20. But certain things happen in your body. There, I mean, I could talk about what happens to the brain. They give you an overview. That's why they call them wise. And if you play into it, you'll probably have a good life. If you fight it. Tell me more. Tell me more. When does it come? The wisdom. Uh, I, I wouldn't. Co- well, we could call it wisdom, but uh, aware, you know, self-knowledge. If you're keeping too busy, you'll never get it. But there has to be a moment where you look inside and understand those are my habits. It's not really who I am. You know, every time somebody pisses me off and I blame them for how pissed off I am. I'm not getting anywhere. But once you think, wait a minute, this is just a habit. And also forgiving yourself for your habits or for the cruelty. You know, we have these thoughts, I'm not good enough. I'm going to fail. Eventually you have to go, I, you know, make friends with them. Otherwise you're going to burn out too. There was a reason you have those. Maybe your mother was worried about you. Maybe kids at school taunted you, but they aren't true anymore. They're just recordings. And, and if you can figure that one out, you're kind of liberated. Do you think everybody should be looking earlier in their lives to these, these processes, if you like? Should we be doing that? At a 20-year-old, you want to tell them to look in, they're not going to. I mean, that's the, that's the hormones, is uh, to take risks, to hate your parents, to um, find their group. And their group might not think it's too cool, but the group is everything, the tribe. 
I think trauma, you know, something terrible happens, you have to patch it up. Otherwise, it's going to give you a scar for the rest of your life. You'll know when you need to do that. And if you just think, uh, I'm going to do the same old, same old, those are the people I do talks for. They're burnt. You know, they're, they're, they're not true to themselves. They don't even know what their goals really are. And their lives are miserable. So it's your choice again. Is all of this, do you think, the preserve of the rich? I don't mean like super rich, but... We, yeah. we have time to have these conversations. And my worry when I sit and read more stuff about this and I talk and I listen is that there's a there's an underclass, there's a, you know, there's a group in society who are just about making the minimum wage. How, how have they got time for cognitive behavioral therapy? They don't. They don't. You know, there's a hierarchy of needs. If you don't have food and you don't have a roof over your head, you don't get this privilege. And that's the tragedy. And they're more traumatized than we are. You can get some cognitive on the NHS. But, you know, I could give my life over to working for people who really need help. You talk then about these green shoots, as you call them, of, you know, what's going on, what's positive in the world. And actually, everybody should have, you know, not just access, but there shouldn't be a need almost to have to have to have access because the balance in life has become so kind of shifted in one direction. So and, and what you see in every chapter from schools and by the way, the, the schools that do offer emotional intelligence are state run. Some of the communities where people take care of each other and it's zero emissions, they're the Peabody Trust run it. So I'm not even going to the wealthy. And then I work with the girls who, um, so, you know, choose love and, uh, yeah, choose yes, love. Yes, and we go to love, Samos. Yeah. Okay, they don't have a lot of money, but boy, do they get off on helping those refugees. And so when I went, I got it. You, you know, you get high when you're um, helping people. And a lot of these acts of kindness are actually better for your health. So go clean up the mess. Up so often that it's, it's the case, isn't it, that we don't find the time to do that until you get to kind well, of middle age. You know what I mean? It's that, that feeling. And maybe that's something that, you know, you, you somehow we have to impress upon the young that it's something to integrate into your life earlier, not wait till you're frazzled and burnt out. I think kids are getting that, you know, the next generation, when I was, looking at businesses, it was the kids that were saying uh, giving is the new taking and they are creating apps so they can see if somebody's really ripping them off or these trousers were made by somebody, you know, who is being taken care of. So I do think they're more conscious and they care more. Uh, when you were in that kind of the midst of that period when you were left telly about 50 and physically, obviously, at that point in your life, things are changing. OK, how aware were you about mental well-being and what happens in menopause? Did you un did you know? Because there's a lot at the moment about education, about menopause. Mm. And a lot of doctors have never been trained in the menopause. Only in the last few years did they actually have to do any training, one hour of training in, in their whole six years of being a doctor on menopause. Can you imagine like actually qualifying and 50% of the population yeah. is affected by something, but you have no idea about it. So one of the big factors is a mental fogginess and anxiety and things that can come, come into a woman's life that weren't there before. Did, did you, were you aware of that when you were going through your own mental trials and tribulations? Well, no, because I have depression. So in my 50s, I was in a mental institution. I wouldn't know menopause if it hit me on the head. And also I'm on hormones. And so you don't really have the full you know, whack of it. But when you're that mentally ill, just bring it on. I would. Did you go on hormones because um, uh, because of the symptoms of the menopause, or because you? No, because I don't want to get. Uh, well, my mom had bad osteoporosis, right. and so I thought, well, this might be medical, yeah, uh, fantasy. But that's what they told me at the no, time. No, it's one of the one of the big yeah. one of the big benefits yeah. amongst many many other things in terms of you know 
heart disease and loads of other things that are beneficial. So, so the mental fogginess of menopause was actually irrelevant because you were in a whole different I've, level of stupor. <laughs> yeah, I was totally in a block of cement. So I was beyond fog. You, you've mentioned your kids, you've got three children who are all grown up now. What kind of mum are you? I was a terrible mother because I was busy with my career. And so I missed a lot of their childhood because I was on the telephone. And they say, oh, remember when I was, you know, my eighth birthday? And I go, don't tell me I know the name. <laughs> I wasn't there. I had somebody when it was Easter and all the other mothers were putting live chickens on their kids' hats. I just wasn't around, you know, I was, I like kind of was there, but I really wasn't. I was focused and now my kids are kind of grateful that I had a career because the mothers that didn't work are kind of dull. <laughs> Not all of them, but, you know, at least I got stories to tell. And now, and what kind of mom are you now? Now they think it's, I'm still an embarrassment and I don't know about comedy, but they really admire the fact that I did what I did. And you're still married to their father. Yeah. Which, um... <laughs> Is um, over 30 years you've been married, right? Around there, yeah. Around that kind of mark, which for a 25-year-old is extraordinary. Um, yeah. <laughs> but that's, 30, you know, 32. in the business you're in and what you've been through, I, I know what you're doing now is a huge achievement, but that's a remarkable achievement to, to have a life journey with somebody through all of that and stay together. Yeah. I, I said in my, in my book and in my show that when we were going down the aisle, I told him, a, that I was married twice before, and B, I had two husbands before him, and three, that I was mentally ill. So he was prepared. And he's his parents, his dad, was used to living in the, you know, he was a, um, a colonel, and so he knew about war, and his great-grandfather was in the trenches. So he's trained for mental illness, Ed. He's good for emergencies. You and, married uh, the, right, the right man, the right guy. Yeah, I mean, it's not everything's perfect. You know, and we don't, we have different lives, you know, like he's in somewhere else and I'm here and then I go somewhere else. So we don't see each other that much. I mean, we live <laughs> together and that's the secret. <laughs> Some people have separate bathrooms, but you just have separate lives. So where, separate where lives. how often will you link up um, in a month? Well, he was working all this time. So um, maybe I saw him last week. And then I'm going to be working next week. So maybe sometime in June. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. You're easily it's going to get to 40 at this rate, 40 years yeah. marriage. This is going to be no problem. Uh, but he sounds, he sounds great, though, because obviously he's, he's had to kind of absorb a lot of, a lot of what's been going on and, and obviously co continue his own, uh, his own path. He doesn't compete with me. Right. You know what I mean? He's not, he's not threatened. Yeah. He likes when I'm funny. Yeah. I throw him a laugh once a year and that's enough to keep him. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's your biggest fan, basically. He is. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, how do you sleep, Ruby Wax? I, well, I sleep really well. I have to sleep about 10 hours. Otherwise, I can't function. 10? 10. That's almost it's, like half the day has gone. 10 I know. Wow. But sleeping is my happy time. So have you always been, I mean, through all of that mental, uh, the journey with mental health and getting yourself well, did you sleep okay there or did you get medicated? Um. I can't remember. You know, that's the beauty of mental illness is it's so awful. Or menopause or childbirth is your your brain forgets. Otherwise, you'd never have more kids. No, so that's, that's I don't true. really remember. Did I sleep? So do you I sleep now? You fall asleep naturally now, do you? Well, yeah. Ish. I mean, if I watch enough Netflix, I'll pass out. And you, and, um, you, and you wake up feeling fresh as a daisy? No, I wake up like at 10 o'clock and people... Um, 
Yeah. But then I worked in the theater, so they don't get mad. Right. And yeah. What, like, you didn't do that when your kids were young, though, obviously. They woke you up. Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't Ed, imagine waking up at 10 o'clock. <laughs> That's just... I didn't when I was younger. I know. And but now I am. Do you think... I'd, I wonder... The reason I'm talking about this, because in a minute we're going to introduce our expert today, who's Miranda Levy, who's written The Insomnia Diaries. And I wonder if um, the more you sleep, the more you sleep. I mean, is it just a case of... It's really healthy. I mean, that's why I stopped feeling guilty because um, Russell um, Russell Foster is the expert at Oxford who um, is an expert on circadian cycles. Uh, circadian, circadian rhythms. Circadian rhythm, right. yeah. He said to me uh, that they're actually going to now, or they're doing a lot of research on, before you get mental illness, your sleep how much you sleep may cause the mental illness. So uh, that's why I give myself a break. If you don't sleep, you're open season for it. Penelope Cruz can sleep for 24 hours, apparently. Get out. Yeah. I um, I read that and I, I just, I don't even know how that happens. How, how do you... She's probably on that pump that Michael Jackson was on. <laughs> I think this is when she was married to Tom Cruise. Maybe she was just trying to avoid him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way. That's a very good technique. Which is a beautiful segue. It's almost like we planned this to mm. Miranda Levy. Hello, Hello, Miranda. Hello. How are you? Hi. I'm all right. Thank you. Good. Miranda has written the Insomnia Diaries, How I Learned to Sleep Again. Um, sleep is not a problem for Ruby Wax, Miranda, I'm pleased to say. She sleeps 10 hours a day. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes, when she feels she needs to, but she sleeps well. But it is a problem for a lot of people, and it is a problem for a lot of people in midlife because hormones have a huge part to play in this. So can you just tell us briefly how you came to be somebody who would write a book on insomnia? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'd had a few brief periods before in my life, mainly related to, I guess, anxiety about a job interview or staying in a new hotel. Something like that always seemed to affect me, but it didn't last very long. But this was triggered by an event in my personal life, but it then went on to take on a life of its own for various reasons. Was it falling to sleep or staying asleep? Both. I did neither. <laughs> I was awake for about eight and a half years. Wow. <laughs> I mean, there's an argument about something called paradoxical insomnia, which is where I go into in my book, because I went to a sleep clinic that told me I was asleep and I was insistent that I wasn't. But it's, it's kind of interesting, like philo almost philosophical, like you think you're sleeping and science says you aren't. So what's the truth? So did you have your eyes shut? <laughs> no, I would listen. Well, I tried. I would listen to kind of early hours radio shows mm. just to keep me going. And um, I knew what was going on all night long. So I'd go and have some toast at half past three. And then at five o'clock, it would start to get light. And I don't know if you ever had one of those sleepless nights where you like, that's it when the bird starts <laughs> and you admit defeat. I've had a very brief period in my kind of early 20s when I started working in radio and I was doing an early morning breakfast show, getting up at four o'clock and I couldn't get to sleep because I was paranoid about, you know, and it just becomes worse and worse even that small period of time I can't imagine eight years having that because it's on your mind all the time isn't it when you can't sleep well it's not just that it's how it affects you physically I was a magazine editor I lost my job I lost my friendships you know temporarily I had issues with my my family my kids thank god that's all fine now I, I didn't leave the house I became agoraphobic but there was another issue which is important to mention that I was put on sleeping pills and tranquilizers quite early on, and they messed everything up much further. So you had a whole journey of getting off those. All I yeah. want to know is how you got yourself to the stage where you now have a good night's sleep. 
There are a few things. Um, first of all, there was time and I came off, it was Valium, benzodiazepines. I came off them much too quickly. Once you start that journey, it's very hard, isn't it? I go into that in quite a lot of detail in my book. Mm. A good doctor won't prescribe you for more than a week and too many doctors reach for their prescription pad too quickly because they just don't have the time. So I had a couple of years of of something called post-withdrawal syndrome, which is a real thing, actually. So that was kind of, that came out of my body because, you know, I would have probably got over the end of my marriage, which was the trigger, much more quickly if I hadn't had that to deal with. So time was one thing. Another thing was a big thing was cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia. So it's a very specialist version of CBT takes some of the principles but applies them specifically um, a couple of other things I got a weighted blanket I don't know if you've ever come across weighted blankets well I don't have I, like, I love having a heavy blanket on wherever I sleep which I suppose is the same kind of thing this one weighs 15 pounds wow. so, <laughs> so the postman nearly had an aneurysm <laughs> but it, it's like being tucked in like a child you know when you yeah. were tucked in really yeah. tightly so you couldn't move and they use it for children with ADHD and autism, Asperger's. In I think it's a bigger thing in America. You know, it's been shown. There have been a few small trials. Do you still apply all these principles now that you've learnt? Yes, I do. With CBTI, it's behaviour as well as thought. So the behaviour is you only go to bed to sleep or have sex. So you're, you don't do other things. So you go, I go to bed at midnight and I wake up at six or seven. It's not amazing, but it's okay. Things like you don't turn the cognitive bit, you don't turn your bedroom into a battleground. I'm a terrible sleeper. I'm never going to sleep again. You know, it's that not catastrophizing. It's like, I'm a good sleeper, but I'm having a bad night. If you're, if you're not falling asleep after 15 minutes, you get up and you do something. And, and so how do you stop the thoughts? Well, that's a good question. So before I go to bed, I make a list of everything I have to do the next day and I colour code it and I update my list several times during the day and I do one before I go to bed so I don't need to think about things. It's not panicking, actually. It's saying, OK, this is a crap night, but hopefully tomorrow will be better. So you've cracked, would you say you've cracked it? Or is it like being an alcoholic? You're, you live with it forever. I mean, there's a kind of always a bit of a shadow that this might happen again. But what's the point, you know? The other, the other thing I will say, really obvious things, when I started to sleep a bit better and I was able to exercise and eat healthily. I mean, people roll their eyes and they go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But it's about actually doing it. And exercise is fantastic. In the morning, when it's sunny, it affects your circadian rhythm, your melatonin, it wakes you up. And obviously, if, you know, everyone knows this, but if you move around more, you get more tired. You're in a better mood, you get more tired. So the book I mentioned, The Insomnia Diaries, How I Learned to Sleep Again, presumably has lots of this information in there in your journey. But could you give us, Miranda, three takeaway tips for anybody listening to this now? Yes, I mean, I've kind of, kind of covered it, really, but weighted blankets are really great. Get out early, even if it's just for a walk. And the third is lists all over the place. Oh, my God. That's what made me insane. <laughs> that's, that's what got me in the mental institution, the lists. Sorry, sorry. Even if you say lists, I'm already... So, so when you say lists, you... Well, yeah. maybe not for everybody then. <laughs> a list. Getting it out of your head, basically. Yes, yeah. getting it down. And then, OK, put the list in a drawer. Don't see it. But if it's down somewhere, I don't have... For me, I don't have to think about the thing. 
Well, Miranda, I'm glad you're sleeping well and looking well on it. And thank you so much for imparting your experience and your wisdom on that. Have a good rest of your day. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Uh, so, so uh, Ruby, tips one and two seem to go down well with you. Not so much three. <laughs> yeah, because the list never ends. You can put it away, but there's always something it else. It works for some, though, list, doesn't it? I, I, I'm less of a list writer now than I was when I was a bit younger. But um, sometimes you just have to get it out of your head, don't you? Just even if you don't go back to the list. So, what the thing that we haven't talked about, and you kind of alluded to it at the beginning because you joked about your age, is the, the aesthetic of aging, right? You look amazing. Um, your skin looks incredible. How much does it bother you? Uh, it does bother me. Um, I was never a beauty, so it's not killing me, whereas my mother was a beauty, and I think a lot of beauties, well, you're a beauty. I'm not, no, no. That's just, that's, well, you, I was yeah. going to say to you the same thing. I don't feel like I've, I've built a career on the way I look. Do you know what I mean? No, no, you didn't. But you happen to be one. (laughs) Well, that's very kind. It must be the angle. Um, But you you look incredible. You look literally the same. You look the same as you ever did. Gabby, I'm telling you, I put food on the lens. (laughs) Do you want me to take it off? (laughs) No. So what do you do? do Would you or are you bothered so much that, you know, it's something that you will interfere with? Do you spend a lot of time and money on it? Do you know what I mean? Is it it kind of... Does it matter? Well, I I exercise, you know, to... um, you know, keep it in. That's important, uh, isn't it? That's really yeah. Important. I don't like that nobody looks at me when I go down the street. That's why I became famous, so that men would stop seriously because they didn't stop anyway when I was even twenty-one. Uh, they didn't, you know, their mouths didn't fall open. I don't have that kind of. So you're a good people. flirt. You're a very good flirt. Yeah, but it doesn't come across as sexual flirt. What does it come it across as? I think it's me being kind of manly with guys, you know, because I'm. But that's sexual, I'm, isn't it? That's, that's no, I, most men, I don't know. My husband found it probably sexual. But when I was growing up, funny wasn't sexy. No. Maybe now, but it no, wasn't. It's definitely, I think, young boys, young men now, like, you know, I speak to my son about kind of people, in, and that's really important, I think, that, you know, that's... Well, that's changed. Yeah. Because sometimes they felt threatened. Yeah, I think it's important to, to laugh, though, isn't it? And that's what, you know, that's that keeps you together longer than a big pair of boobs, doesn't it? Once you're um, married, yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not thinking about that at 15, no, thankfully. No. Um, yeah. But I do think maybe for a younger generation, that is that is more of a consideration. But you, you, you kind of suggested that that was part of the reason why you weren't on telly. But, I, you know... I really, I'm maybe a different uh, opinion of you. I, I feel like that has changed a little bit. We do see a few older. Well, it must have changed because I'm going back on it. Exactly. So, you know, it took me 15 years to hit the trend again. <laughs> <laughs> you're leading the way again. You're a pioneer. You're doing. Yeah, sure. You're, yeah. you're trailblazing. Is there going to be another invention or reinvention of Ruby Wax? No, I don't want to go back to that. No. Um, not at all. Okay, somebody tomorrow rings you up and they say, chat show Saturday night no. nine uh-uh. o'clock no really? I'm not you know if I can't get an erection I'm not interested <laughs> some things get me really excited when I meet a a brain guy and a neuroscientist <laughs> watch my face so I like I lo- I would go back to Oxford tomorrow I would be really excited guys who know physics really switch it on for me I mean not a comedian a brain what would you do if you went back to Oxford then I'd sit in a lot of classes because there's so much I don't know, but I'd like to learn. (laughs) I'd like to, I won't, but learn about physics. 
I think that's my next religion. Do you listen to a lot of physics podcasts? Only, only <laughs> I listen to. I've heard the monkey cage over and over again. Right, yeah, my, my, my son got into that in the first part of lockdown. And um, yeah. it's great when, when there's something that's as accessible as that for somebody who's maybe not as academic in, you know what I mean? If that yeah. wasn't your subject at school, that is the beauty. <laughs> I didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> And you... now I watch all these programs and ask me when they're over what I learned. It's gone. <laughs> but while I'm watching, it's intriguing. And, and I described you in your introduction, which you'll hear uh, if you ever listen to this back, but you probably won't. Uh, but um, no, I, I described you as an adopted national treasure. Oh, no, I'm not. You are, though, because I think people probably, uh, some people probably think you put your accent on because you've been here so long and people think of you as being British, I think. Why did you stay here? What is it about Britain that draws you back, even though you have well, other... I, you know, the the word irony, I mean, that always was a draw. I don't feel at home in America. I used to go there for late night shopping, but now they have it here, so there's no reason. <laughs> and there's bits of it that are spectacular, like Oregon and, mm. you, you know, the, the Wild West. But um, I just love people here. I love them. I love the depth. I like that you can go when I do my tours to Bradford or whatever, and people are sharp. You go to Arkansas and people might be you know, related to farm animals, but um, <laughs> not here. We get you. Oh, yeah. I d I've done a couple of shows in America, and I've seen people's faces. They they don't understand. Or when I tried to, when I did my celebrity shows, they thought, how can you laugh? You know, I wasn't laughing at them, but, you know, these, are go these people are gold. They should be revered. Well, you know, get out of here. And celebrity is something, actually, again, that you admit to being kind of, almost obsessed by or fascinated by in a way that you when you were doing your interviews it was wanting to be kind of taken in by that community no I wanted to understand what fame meant right you know because I see it as a kind of Ill disease mm. and so it was fascinating to me how many people were affected by it. you know I, I was trying to see who they were underneath but that's only got worse, hasn't it, since you started out your investigations if you like in terms of people's obsession I don't know I don't mix with it anymore but in terms of so, the, the wider world, if you like, you know, the, the kind of, um, I'm not talking about A-list Hollywood celebrities, but this idea that kind of everybody wants to have a public, you know, face, whether it's on social media. Yeah, it's an illness. Yeah. Um, it's like having zits. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you on social media? Um, I am, but I don't really... Uh, Tell anybody. Um, no, I don't tell anybody it's secret. I do it so that people will buy my books and watch my show. And I put bits of my book on so you get a taster. But I don't, you know. You don't do that. You don't do behind the scenes. No, you don't raise the curtain. I don't raise the curtain and I don't, uh, I just do it for publicity. Which is honest. what a lot of people do, but then they just pepper it with stuff that makes it look like it's behind the curtain. Yeah, don't well, you have to show pictures of yourself naked if you want somebody <laughs> to see your show. Okay, I'll go that far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, so while you're here, we plug the book. When are you going to have a show then? When's the next tour? I don't know, when they open theatres. But you'll be back out there. I'll be hoping it. So the good people of Bradford who'll be listening to this will be... I know. You'll sell out five times in Bradford for what you just said. You realise that. <laughs> so I'm from Leeds originally. Which oh, is right. Bradford. And Leeds is up... Well, the north... The is, north generally. The north. Oh, gen my God. They're already funny, even before <laughs> they open their mouths. Uh, Ruby, it's been an absolute delight. I've, I've loved chatting to you and... I, I kind of I'm not I'm not sure what we've learned about midlife because because you said you don't remember it but but I've learned a lot about lots of other stuff which I think anybody can apply to any stage of their life so thank you uh, thank you I think thank you as well from from 
so many people affected by the books that you write and the, you know, the, the frazzled kind of whole experience for people, which I think is really important. Oh, yeah. Can I just say that I, I'm on three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and there's hosts all day long. And it's uh, just come on to frazzlecafe.org. And there's a safe space where you can speak human to human instead of cocktail And that's party. completely free if anybody wants to go yeah. on there. That's completely yeah. free. Well, Ruby, have a wonderful rest of your day. and Thank you. You can wipe the food off your lens now. And, okay. Um, <laughs> take care. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Wow, Ruby Wax is truly a wonderful woman, isn't she? I love her energy, her enthusiasm, her honesty, and what she's doing in the mental wellness space is really inspiring. I think she is here to stay. The reinvention of Ruby Wax, thank goodness, means that we will see a lot more of her over the years to come. Solgar kindly sponsored this episode, and they've got so much to offer in their range of vitamins and minerals in these stylish brown glass bottles with the gold lids. They're unmissable. Uh, if you're a turmeric fan, you'll know that standard forms are quite hard to absorb. So try Solgar's full spectrum curcumin with advanced technology to provide 185 times greater bioavailability than standard curcumin for better faster absorption which can't be bad thank you so much to ruby to miranda levy to lauren armstrong carter and to rethink audio for producing to solgar and of course to you go well until next time Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 